Howdy folks, this is Tom Barbalay. I just recorded Biota Live that you're about to hear and no one called in. It's always nice to have participants in Biota Live. If you live outside the US, Skype currently has deals where you can get calls to the US for I think around 13 euros a year. Gerald de Jong is obviously the person to get in contact with regards to that because he has all the information on how to connect into Biota Live if you live outside the US and you would like to converse. More importantly, I'm also willing to move the Biota Live time to allow international participants to call in either via Skype or via landlines. So if you would like to talk about a topic and you live outside the US and you would like a specific time, please get in contact with me, Tom at mobileape.com. If you've heard the Jamie Matthews talk recently, I will also do Skype-related conversations that are put out in the podcast feed in a similar way. So if you would prefer to chat with me via Skype and have that recording put out in the podcast feed, I'm open to that as well. Tom at mobileape.com. Enjoy this evening's Solo Biota Live. Welcome to Biota Live. I'm Tom Barbley, and this is a continuation of the Biota Podcast. For more information on the Biota Podcast, please go to biota.org slash podcast. I'm hoping to have Justin Lyon on this call as well from the UK. The next episode on Friday, August 22nd, 8 p.m. Pacific, Zan Gill will be discussing her book and ideas coming from her book. I've had some correspondence with Zan during the week discussing the idea of a history of artificial life per Gerald and my discussion last week. So I put to Zan that perhaps the history of artificial life was the next possible book idea with the view that there are a number of undergraduate and graduate students that are currently studying artificial life in one section of their studies or devoted as Jamie Matthews is doing currently. So there's clearly a need, basically, for a history of artificial life in book form. So I will put that to Zan next week. The week following that, we have a number of topics. I mentioned three possibilities last week, but we're still trying to work out where people will be placed to come on and talk about some of those issues. Well, some news and notes before we start on this evening's topic. The Facebook groups have grown. I received correspondence from Adam of Graysum Boston that he has started a Graysum specific Facebook group. And if you would like to join that, search for Gray with an E and then Thumb as two separate words and you will find that particular Facebook group. You may also be able to find it through the biota.org community on Facebook Facebook group. There may be a, a link associated with that. So through the week, I've been befriending a lot of people and I'll talk a little bit about that with regards to future Grey Thumbs. But I just wanted to follow up with regards to my chat with Jamie Matthews last week. It was wonderful to have Jamie on and have his 
insight with regards to the A-Life 11 conference. For folks interested, I followed the conference through Jamie via Twitter, and if people are interested, my Twitter name is Barbalay, my surname, and Jamie's is the letter J, the number 4-M-I-E, if you're interested in artificial life developers on Twitter or just general musings. One thing that came through the Jamie Matthews chat was his use of the word amateur, and I think this is something which will come through in this evening's topic with regards to the quality of life associated with artificial life development. But on a personal note, I was reflecting on my own kind of history with regards to developing artificial life, and particularly my early liaisons with academia. For people who are familiar with the legacy of the Noble Eight development, it was started when I was 19 and at university, and certainly the academics that were around me, the philosophy, and when I continued on the uh, computational physics academics that I was around, we're certainly not particularly sympathetic to this idea of artificial life or even concepts in simulation. I think the contemporary situation with regards to academia has really only happened probably in the past four or five years. So for folks who are students currently who can't understand why there are so many hobbyists and not more academics with regards to artificial life, a large portion is just the slow uptake in terms of artificial life as a potential discipline vending into a wide variety of fields that we have already discussed. So that's the historical legacy associated with, I think, why there are so many hobbyists in artificial life. So rather than amateur, I want to push J.B. Matthews into perhaps using the term veteran to describe the folks that he sees as, as hobbyists but not academics. Because ironically, this amateur speaking to you currently spent about four hours last night doing peer review on two academic chapters, and I think certainly this is the legacy that I'll be discussing more in this evening's topic, that ironically the hobbyists are actually doing a lot more than the name suggests. In any case, grey thumb news. There is a lot of grey thumb news, and I'd like to thank all the folks that corresponded with me via Facebook this week and also via email in terms of setting up a number of new grey thumb chapters. For the benefit of folks listening in, I'm going to say these chapters relatively slowly and explain some of the background with each of them. But obviously, Grace on Boston is the, the flagship. It, it is the original chapter. It's been going for more than two years now. And Adam and Brian and people like John Klein and Martin C. Martin, all these kind of people are, are associated with Grace on Boston. Adam characterized it as having a, probably the most academic-centric of, of all the Graythams in terms of speakers. I think certainly Silicon Valley and London have had a certain number of academics come through. Next one, obviously, Graysum San Francisco in the Bay Area. This is an active Graysum. They are having uh, monthly meetings. I'd like to send out a shout-out to Ashiyadga and all associated with Graysum San Francisco. So if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, that's definitely a Graysum to check out. And they have had a wide variety of folks. I've tried to put up as many of the Google videos as possible associated with Graysum San Francisco to give people a general sense of what's going on there currently. I know there was a Graysum Boston video posted today as well on the Graysum blog, G-R-E-Y-T-H-U-M-B dot org slash blog for folks interested in seeing that video. There is Graysum London, and Graysum London has a, an eclectic group of folk. According to Bruce, there are about 60 or 70 folk that gathered at the last Graysum London. I haven't heard when the next meeting is going to be with regards to Graysum London, but if you are in the London area, please get in contact with me, primarily Tom at NobleApe.com. I'll forward you on to all the other folk that are part of Graysum London, including Justin Lyon, who was going to be on the call this evening, hopefully still will be on the call this evening. The fourth Graysum is what I'm calling Graysum Benelux from the discussion with Gerald de Jung last week. 
And that's basically the Grey Sum, Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, that area in Europe. And that's being headed by Gerald de Jong, and it will possibly be meeting, I think, in early September, from what Gerald said last time. It could be late September. But you can contact Gerald directly if you just go to darwinathome.org, all one word, Darwin at Home, and contact Gerald directly with regards to your interest if you're in the Netherlands area. The next Graysum is Graysum Brighton. And if you heard Jamie Matthews speak last week in the in the podcast feed, you will hear from one of the two founding members of Graysum Brighton. So if you're in the Brighton area, and we'd like to see, obviously, some movement between Graysum London and Graysum Brighton, but if you're in the Brighton area, and I know it's right next to the University of Sussex, which is a big A-Life school currently, check it out. Get in contact with me, Tom, at com. Alternatively, through Facebook, if you join the Biota community on Facebook, you should be able to find Jamie Matthews relatively easily. I've also given out his Twitter account, J, the number 4mie.org, will also get you in contact with Jamie Matthews. There is a Graysum LA as well, Los Angeles as opposed to Louisiana, although with Steve Grant in Louisiana, perhaps there may be a Graysum Louisiana in the near future. However, Graysum Los Angeles, there are five people associated with that. People such as Travis Sabo, folks will remember Travis from Biota Lives Past. And it's going to be quite an eclectic group by the looks of things. Adam was in correspondence with them today to try to get a sense of what direction they'll go and certainly with game development and movies and various other things coming out of Los Angeles currently, that could be a very dynamic Grayson group. So if you're in Los Angeles, get in contact with me, Tom at NobleApe.com, and I'll put you in contact with the group that's setting up Grayson Los Angeles. What are we up to now? Sixth, the seventh Grayson, Grayson, Indiana, in Bloomington, Indiana. You may have heard Larry Yeager when Bruce Damer went to London. Larry Yeager obviously is an artificial life academic in Indiana, and there are quite a few folk, I think, that would be interested in Grayson, Indiana. So if you're in the Indiana area, get in contact with me, Tom at Nobleate.com, and I'll put you in contact with Larry and all the other folk that are interested in starting a Grayson in Indiana, Grayson, New York. There's been a lot of correspondence in the past few days with regards to folks who listen to this podcast and are based in New York City and the surrounds. If you are based in New York City and you would like to participate in a Grayson, there is some crossover with regards to Grayson, Boston. There may be some sharing of speakers, but there also seems to be a critical mass of folk in the New York area that would like to meet and discuss artificial life. Please get in contact with me, Tom, at NobleApe.com if you're in New York. Grayson, North Carolina, and we're talking the Raleigh and Greensboro area of North Carolina, and Robert Rice, who has appeared on previous Biota Lives, should be heading up the North Carolina chapter of Graysum. It was wonderful to have Robert get in contact this week and other folk via Facebook. However, that's a, a chapter that could pose a number of interesting directions. I know there are games companies, there are various IT and security companies, and I believe also various biotech companies in that area, and they all vend very heavily into Graysum. So it could be a very exciting chapter if you're in the North Carolina area. Graysum, Melbourne. This is Melbourne, Australia, as opposed to the wide varieties of other Melbournes out there. This is going to be a very interesting chapter as well. If you've heard John McCormack speak on the previous Biota interviews, you will know that Melbourne and Monash and all the things associated with John have a heavy association with artificial life, but in a particular slant, artificial life art and artificial life associated with plants and these kind of things. 
However, there are other practitioners in the area, and I'd like to send a shout-out to William Kentler. He seems like an uh, amazing and interesting artificial life developer in the Melbourne area, and also Peter Newman. And Peter Newman has been behind the scenes making sure that biota.org runs for a number of years now, and he's just he's a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. I've got a lot of time for Peter, and he recently joined the Biota Conversations mailing list, so props to Peter. And finally... They are listening to me live talking currently in Second Life, and there is a grey thumb Second Life. So last but certainly not least, if you are a participant in Second Life and you would like to get together with artificial life enthusiasts in Second Life to discuss potentially taking over Second Life with artificial life, etc., then the person to get in contact with, or the people to get in contact with, are Natalie and Dick Gordon. You've heard them in previous podcasts. Dick Gordon is obviously at the Dick Gordon Book Project as well. However, they are inhabitants of Second Life. They may actually be listening to me speak currently. Certainly, if you want to communicate with Dick and Natalie and other folk in Second Life who are artificial life interested, artificial life curious, or artificial life developers, it's the place to go. I've had some connection with regards to, I think, two separate teams that were proposing developing artificial life in Second Life. And one of those teams I have connected with uh, Dick and Natalie. I'm not sure how they'll be connected with regards to Graytham Second Life, but they will be there somehow. I had a couple of meetings this week, or meetings, really, meals, more importantly. Douglas Rushkoff, who I've mentioned in previous podcasts in terms of his media theory and also his influence with regards to the original development of Noble Ape. I had dinner with him on Sunday, last Sunday. I haven't seen Doug for seven years, so it was nice to catch up with him. I passed him a pile of Biota CDs with the view that Doug rub shoulders with a number of people in New York who may be interested in the potential for a grey thumb New York, but certainly it was wonderful catching up with Doug. And also the Biota alumni, Dr. Dave of Shrinkwrap Radio, was in town. In fact, he's in town for a podcast expo that's currently going on. My wife Michelle and I went out for Dr. Dave for some sushi, and it was wonderful. We had a long chat about the state of podcasting. I am not attending the podcast expo. I'm not attending for a number of reasons, but the main concern that I have with regards to the Expo is that podcasting needs to move into a kind of mainstream context. I still have concerns that podcasting isn't being promoted heavily enough into popular audience, be it through science publications or uh, popular media, and I think it's still relatively fringe. Obviously, if you're listening to this via podcast, you understand how to subscribe to podcasts or get podcasts or at least listen to this audio, I would actually recommend folks who are not subscribed to the Biota podcast that they go to biota.org slash podcast and subscribe. It means that, sure, you may get an occasional podcast that isn't really what interests you, but you also may get surprised by some of the content. So if you're not currently subscribed to the Biota podcast, please go to biota.org slash podcast and subscribe either via the iTunes link or via the RSS feed. And if you have any questions or concerns about how you can actually subscribe to the podcast, please contact me, tom at noble8.com. There may be a certain degree of tech savvy in terms of what we talk about on Biota Live. Certainly, I'm more than willing to assist in terms of getting folks to subscribe to the podcast. The question for this week related to the quality of life, and this is an ongoing issue. I have a lot of correspondence, and I'm certainly I'm going to keep the correspondees confidential, but I do receive quite a bit of correspondence from artificial life developers that are suffering quality of life-related issues. In fact, when I first met Bruce in um, 
2005 when we met in LA, we went through a number of the names that you typically associate with artificial life, and most of them had quality of life related issues. So this idea of quality of life, well, a bit like the term affirmative action, the quality of life has a very broad general meaning. But in the context that I'm going to use it, I'll define it in terms of the International Game Developers Association discussion of quality of life. Now, you may wonder why the International Game Developers Association, which has typically been associated not only with game developers but also with game development studios, would actively participate in a debate associated with the quality of life of its members. Well, funnily enough, the IGDA noticed a string of bad media articles associated with the quality of life of the games industry specifically. It is somewhat ironic because obviously artificial life developers typically, particularly the folks that we've talked to on Biota Live and in previous Biota podcasts, the software engineers. So as a subset of software engineering, game development had a particularly bad rap due to long working hours, difficulties with regards to control of production, these kind of things. And a general sense in the media that the folks who were developing games certainly weren't reaping any of the benefits with regards to the titles that they were releasing. So the International Game Developers Association created a quality of life special interest group tasked with investigating what issues associated with the quality of life really affected folks in the game development industry. So I use this as the base text in order to explore this evening's topic because I certainly didn't actively participate in this special interest group. However, I am the co-chair of the Intellectual Property Rights Special Interest Group and there was a large Venn between intellectual property rights and quality of life, as I'm sure you'll uh, imagine in terms of actually owning what you produce or at least reaping some of the benefits of what you produce. As a subset of software engineering, artificial life developers suffer from the same problems which software engineers have suffered from for, well, since about 2001. And fundamentally, there are issues associated with outsourcing, there are issues associated with regards to stagnant wages. All these kind of things factor into why being a software engineer currently isn't necessarily the best possible job option. However, what I've noted in terms of my correspondence with Bruce about particular people, but also my correspondence with a number of folks in the artificial life community, is the kind of problems that they encounter, particularly with regards to unemployment and salary issues, comes through the fact that they are fundamentally software engineers. So this poses an interesting question with regards to the politicization of any movement, and I think certainly what I found with the International Game Developers Association was that there was a question of how can this organization, the RGDA, move from being something that was originally a very friendly, very pro-game um, studio kind of environment into something that was actually seriously discussing the quality of life of its members. And certainly when I picked up the editorial responsibilities of biota.org, I had in the back of my mind that this was something that I wanted to discuss and actively talk about, not necessarily just in terms of motivating change, but at least being mindful with regards to the situation that contemporary artificial life developers face. Now, obviously, there are a wide variety of artificial life developers. We are not all software engineers. Some of us are academics. Some of us have other connections. Some of us are in industry actively developing simulation-related resources. I've certainly had correspondence this week from folks on Facebook who listen to this podcast and are firmly in industry. They're getting reasonable paychecks, and they are developing simulations in existing engineering companies. 
It would have been wonderful to have Justin on to talk about the Simuline experience specifically with regards to that. However, in a broader sense, there is an issue with regards to how artificial life is integrated in terms of primary or secondary money-making, basically. And I think the current problem is that a number of the hobbyists in the community do not earn money through what they develop fundamentally. And a number of us, and I'll include myself with this, do do academic publication. A number of us do contribute into industry with regards to our artificialized developments. And there are a number of names here that are easy to include, people like John Klein, people like Jeffrey Ventrella. So it begs the question, what can Biota do in terms of these issues? So I wanted to take a, a step back and explore how we have a situation with a number of contemporary hobbyists that are doing academic publications, a number of contemporary hobbyists that are doing contributions into industry, and what the issues are in terms of how these things impact on quality of life. What's particularly interesting here is the legacy, as I've described initially with regards to the Jamie Matthews discussion. The people who are getting interested in artificial life currently may not appreciate the difficulty associated with artificial life practitioners that were developing artificial life projects 10, 15 years ago, and certainly through the winter period of the 90s with regards to artificial life development. There's always been a question, and if folks are familiar with my Floss Weekly interview, you will know what I'm talking about here with regards to the perception that artificial life is fundamentally a curio, a toy, something which could be integrated in games if the artificial life developers just got it right. These kind of issues fundamentally haunt the folks that have been developing artificial life for, for more than a decade. And as a broad community group, I think Biota should be more mindful with regards to how we represent the broader membership and how we start discussing these kind of issues. Now, there is a view, and I certainly talked about this view privately with regards to people that have got in contact with me, that all boats rise with Biota.org. When I started my editorial duties with Biota.org, I wanted to promote as many projects as possible and as many people as possible. So if one of us get promoted and one of us gets seen in popular media or scientific media and it comes back to biota.org, we all get the kudos associated with folks coming back to the site, folks interested, folks curious. And this is what's really going to be interesting to see with Spore. But the issues associated with quality of life come through this, that you can't have, and this came through the IGDA, a sense that the expectation for the future is limiting what is going on presently. So how do we be mindful of this? How is this going to come together in our discussion? Well, obviously, as has already been identified, there is a lot of academic publication that we are doing currently. There are a number of names who have been publishing. And certainly you have folks like Marcin Komenczynski, who are academics and hobbyists as well. However, I think we need to consider as a movement that... There is a history that needs to be written. There is a need in academia, as Jamie Matthews pointed out, with regards to getting a coherent history, but also contemporary projects that are ideally tuned for a teaching environment. Now, this may be more undergraduate than it is graduate. Here, I'd like to look at John Klein's work, because I think John Klein has been really brilliant in terms of pitching Brevet to an undergraduate audience. And this is something that we can all consider. I'd like to talk a little bit more about industry and the interface between artificial life developers and industry, because I think this is also another interesting point. Now, I've had a number of off-the-record discussions with folks in industry, and particularly folks whose companies have 
had a great deal of benefit from artificial life development. And they are caught in a catch-22 issue. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. If you put your project out there, particularly if you put your project out there through an open source license or these kind of mechanisms, it's only a matter of time before folks in industry get interested. Now, this has happened with a number of folks in the community. And the way in which the interaction with industry occurs typically comes through an open source interface. It would be really interesting to have someone like Jeffrey Ventrella on to talk about his own particular experiences in terms of maintaining a proprietary component to his development by not releasing the source code. But certainly my experience and a number of other folks have had experiences with industry where our software has been used and it has been given a certain degree of street credibility. Now, the International Game Developers Association talked a little bit about this street credibility with regards to game development, and they were very, very critical about this interface with industry. We get a little bit deeper in here, because ultimately, if you decide to release your project open source, and here I'm talking to Scott Davis in particular, who requested an additional discussion point associated with open source and artificial life, I would probably be the first to say that there are problems with the existing open source methodology, and this is certainly something that I've posted in the Biota Conversations mailing list, because I think the kind of open source licenses we use as artificial life developers will ultimately affect or in some degree change the quality of life that I'm discussing currently. Well, let me explain that a little bit. I have been developing open source with Noble 8 since it was created. But when I first started developing Noble Ape, I was releasing the source code with minimalist licensing. Let's just put it that way. I've always had a healthy disrespect with regards to software licenses, full stop. And I think this is the legacy in terms of GNU that my metaphor with regards to GNU is it's a bit like gun control by building bigger guns. The idea that you need a license that's specifically tailored to be against software licenses seems to be a, a kind of introverted contradiction in some regard. My own thinking is that we need to have some degree of copyleft protection. This could come in the Creative Commons. This could come in a, a wide variety of licensing methods, which says if you make money from artificial life software, you need to contact the artificial life developer and work out what is happening. Work out whether you can hire the artificial life developer, work out whether the artificial life developer would like royalties, but if you're making money from artificial life software, you have a duty of respect to contact the developer in some regard. Some inside baseball here, after I appeared on Floss Weekly, I was contacted by a fellow in Australia who got me in contact with the OSI board, and the OSI board was concerned that the Ravenbrook license that I used for Noble Ape wasn't compatible with the OSI board's definition of open source. Now, the OSI board is a very curious entity. However, it is the entity that regulates the use of the term open source through trademarks primarily, but also through kind of community lip service that open source developers have given them. What I found particularly curious was that there was no open source license that catered to copyleft, which describes the interaction that I've described in terms of the potential profiter contacting the open source developer and making some communication with regards to what will actually happen. There was nothing that was brief, and one of the great problems associated with open source licenses is people don't read them. They just say, oh, it's open source. Oh, I'll use the software. Oh, it doesn't matter. And that's just the nature of these things in companies that would be using these kind of programs. So there's a fundamental problem there. 
And the final point that I wanted was biodiversity. Now, biodiversity here could just mean connected to biota, but I certainly don't want a third-party uh, enterprise, company, non-profit organization attached to my source code, my software. That seems pretty reasonable. I think as we move forward, and certainly through the Evo grid, this will become a greater concern, but also any future collaboration between the various artificial life projects that are currently released under open source licenses, there are going to be issues with regards to license clashing. And to be perfectly honest, and I know I'm talking to friends here, my concerns with regards to the OSI board is that they aren't addressing these kind of issues. They certainly talked with me about them, but they didn't give me any conclusions. It was either go with a completely open license, the MIT license in terms of commercial exploitation, or go with the GNU license, which is neither brief nor has the biodiversity specification. It's connected with GNU. And my own historical references with regards to GNU is that it's an enterprise, and it is an enterprise, which I think has done the open source community no good. This here is a disclaimer of Tom Dudley and has nothing to do with Biotech at all. But my concern is that there are problems associated with open source licensing, which has made the interface with industry particularly difficult. I now want to talk a little bit about the interface with academia, because I think that's something else that is curious. The situation as I see it, and this in large part comes through the conversation with Jamie Matthews, but also a lot of correspondence you need to appreciate. I receive quite a bit of correspondence through the week, plus there is kind of medium to long-term strategy in terms of getting folk like Steve Grant back into the conversation, and certainly people like Larry Yeager as well, people like Professor Dawkins, all these kind of folk. There are medium to long-term strategies that I discuss with a, a few folk in terms of bringing them back into the conversation, because I think certainly their insight and discourse is needed. It's something that the community needs. But the history of academia and artificial life has been particularly rocky for a number of practitioners. You have the artificial life conferences, and for folks who are listening through ALIFE 11, you probably don't see this through ALIFE 11, but certainly the communications I've had, and particularly with regards to what I would like to call in this circumstance founding fathers associated with artificial life, a large portion of them aren't currently developing artificial life. They're not promoting artificial life, and there are a good number of reasons associated with them. One of them is the quality of life associated with that. So these quality of life issues do have a long-term impact. The current interaction associated with hobbyists in particular and academia seems to come through publication and, in my case, also chapter reviews. I think probably others in the community who are hobbyists also do chapter reviews, but these days it's pretty well hand-in-hand. Hand. When I started my editorial duties with Biota, I was very interested in this idea of hobbyist publishing. Certainly, people like Jeffrey Ventrella and John Klein have been inspirational in this regard. Also, obviously, Steve Grand. So I think there is a good interface currently where folks that are hobbyists can publish in academia. Why are they hobbyists? Well, as I mentioned with Jamie Matthews, they're hobbyists because, and I think it's still a majority of academic institutions the world over that would have some concerns that you would think should then into artificial life, do not have a particularly positive attitude associated with artificial life. This is something which we can all change. It's going to be a medium to long-term change, but I think it will happen progressively. It will happen through constant bombardments of academic publication. It will happen through just time, new folk coming in, getting involved. This is the beauty of A-Life 11. There were so many graduate and undergraduate students there. This shows that there are a new group of people that are progressively moving through. Ironically, from my experiences in Canberra, Australia, 
ADFA, which is the uh, Military Academy University in Canberra, Australia, now has a small artificial life team. Over a 10-year period, you can move from academics that don't even want to consider reading artificial life-related papers. And at the time, I was really talking more high-level artificial intelligence, but also Margaret A. Bowden's book, which I had thoroughly thumbed, underlined, and passed on to academics that were teaching. This legacy still exists to this day. It's being eroded. It's being eroded by things like A-Life 11. It's being eroded by individuals, as, as has been noted, who are currently have moved from industry into academia, like Larry Yeager, for example. So when we have Larry Yeager on, we'll talk more about that. I don't think this is a long-term problem, and I think these quality of life issues aren't something that's just a part of being an artificial life developer. I think these are things that can be resolved, but we need to be mindful of them, and we need to start thinking and talking about how they're going to be resolved in the medium term. I don't think this is a bad conversation to have, and it will be a continuing conversation through the BioFly feed as EvoGrid has become and as various other topics that we've discussed become periodic. I would like to raise the quality of life as periodic topic and something certainly that will be raised in connection with other issues. I've covered a lot of information this evening and certainly I've covered a lot of it solo. My thinking is that I would like to hand this back to the community for feedback. There are a number of ways that you can get in contact with me associated with this podcast. Tom at Novelite.com is the easiest email address to contact me on. Also via Facebook. If you want to engage in a community discussion, we have the Biota Conversations mailing list. You can get there by going to biota.org. Look for the mailing list link at the top. Click on that and you'll see the Biota Conversations list. Where are we currently as I see it? I think there's a great degree of hope. And certainly when I was having dinner with Dr. Dave, I had told him about the Graytham meetings. I told him about the frequency and the feedback associated with Biota Live. And I told him about the experiences at the A-Life 11 conference that Jamie Matthews talked about. Also, I got a lot from Larry Aker as well, and I'd like to thank Larry for his uh, six pages of very, very detailed notes. So all these things point to a positive future, but it's a future where the history needs to be relatively adequately described. It hasn't been so far. It will be in the future. Being part of a, an organization like Biota.org, a relatively informal gathering of folks who are artificial life enthusiasts fundamentally, some of us are hobbyists, some of us are academics, some of us work in industry. The issue with regards to being mindful is really critical. I don't want you to think that this is just a throwaway term that I'm using. The feedback from the International Game Developers Association was very strong. As soon as the conversation was had, things started changing in the game development industry. The first thing that happened was a few companies decided that they could get a lot more kudos if they actually started to move towards these kind of best practice methodologies that the IGDA had proposed through their quality of life special interest group. So part of being mindful is to talk about these issues and to start moving forward in terms of just having a discussion. This should also impact towards the kind of best players in the field. So in academia, this is already happening. I mean, Jeffrey Ventrella would not be or could not be on this call this week because he is up in Canada. He's teaching courses for, I think, two or three months. Folks are reaching back into the hobbyist community, at least, and saying, you have an amazing insight, you have amazing knowledge, you could teach courses. And I think this will happen in the future. I think it's probably already happening with John Klein and others. 
So I'm not particularly fussed with regards to the academic component. The issue with industry has always been more difficult, and I'm hopeful for the future primarily because you now have a super skilled group of people who have not just studied artificial life in their basement, so to speak, but studied artificial life in classrooms as well. The linking between artificial life, informatics, bioinformatics, artificial intelligence, computational biology, there are a wide variety of VINs. I would like to also say philosophy and political science, people like Dr. Paul Johnson doing amazing work in these areas using artificial life-centric methods. All these things mean that industry should start appreciating artificial life as a qualification as opposed to a curio. And I think this is going to happen in the near future. I think it's already happening. In terms of these kind of quality of life issues, as I've discussed them, I'm really talking about the present day. I'm really discussing in some regard the historical legacy because I think all these things are fixable and all these things are, once discussed, a lot easier to resolve. This may seem very positive to folks who are fundamentally software engineers who have been tinkering away in their basements for the past decade plus developing artificial life but never earned a penny through it. And I think what was fascinating was when I proposed this topic initially associated with quality of life through the Biotech Conversations mailing list, Bruce Damer piped up and said, that's interesting, does that mean how you get enough sleep when you're working full-time and developing your artificial life project? So let's move more passively into that kind of quality of life discussion. One thing you find with artificial life developers, and I'll, I will return to a cliche here, when I was first contacted by Dave Kerr, which happened in 2002, 2003, I believe, I had an immense sense that I was communicating with a kindred spirit and someone who certainly understood the uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of hours that one needs to invest in order to create an artificial life simulation. What I found through continued communication was that there were a number of folks who were similar kindred spirits. Gerald Jung, John Klein, Jeffrey Ventrella, everyone who has appeared in the Biota podcast to date who have been historically hobbyists. And this kinship made me realize that there were certain things that had occurred progressively that were wrongs that needed to be righted in the future. And I think ultimately this is what brings me to this point in terms of discussing quality of life. As artificial life is recognized more and more, as it's recognized through industry, as it's recognized through academia, the skill set that the hobbyists bring to the table, particularly through early publication and these kind of things, probably will write a number of these issues. The question currently is whether BIOTA will act as an organization of passive discussion, as it has done to date, or whether it will act as a representative of these individuals in a kind of collective way. And this is an interesting point. I want to pause here and give a little anecdote with regards to my history. If you put my surname into Amazon, you will find two Barbelais. One is my father and the other is my mother. My father's background, as you'll see through the Amazon search, was with regards to studying labor unions. And my childhood, from a very early age, was going to large labor unions, mining unions, a wide variety of manual labor-related industries, let's just say, and watching my father talk with the union leaders. My father befriended a number of these union leaders, and certainly in my late teens, I you know, reconnected through the union leaders' children with them. In the U.S., it's very difficult to talk about unions in any kind of positive light. 
But what I will say is that the union leaders, particularly in the most dangerous of the, the mining leaders, for example, had a kindred sense of brotherhood. They were men exclusively in terms of the folk my father talked with. And I think this should exist with regards to the biota community as well, brotherhood, sisterhood. The artificial life developers are fundamentally people who have invested more time than perhaps sane and normal people in a particular area of interest, which currently, and I mention this because I was talking with Doug Rushkov and I mentioned the Intel connection with Noble Ape and he had it pushed back from the table all stunned and he said, no, that can't be right. I said, it's perfectly right. That's what Intel uses Noble Ape for. They change the number of eight mines, the number of threads and set it running. Moving this into something where it's more generally accepted. This is going to be an ongoing topic of discussion. Quality of life is something which is sufficiently serious that it needs to motivate future biota discussions. And I think we need to consider whether biota as an organization acts passively or acts actively with regards to the community. I switch between both views. I don't have a particularly fixed view. I think we can do a lot of good as a passive organization and certainly in terms of just mindful discussion, I think there's a lot that can be done just purely by raising the issue. However, I think also, and this came through the Jeffrey Ventrella flow situation, we need to, as a community, start actively discussing when these kind of issues occur. To paraphrase, you probably should just go to noble8.com slash reality and find the flow-related discussion because I go into a great deal of detail there. I think it's about 21 minutes worth of audio, and I explain that situation. So in the future, this may be something that Biota does proactively. In the future, this may be something that we just discuss in terms of representing the folks who participate on a frequent basis. There are also going to be greater meetings and various other avenues for people to communicate and discuss these kind of issues. It's kind of interesting, actually, just raising this as a kind of 10-minute discussion topic into all the Greythumbs currently collected and potentially future Greythumb chapters as they're set up. Because certainly on a local level, being mindful and discussing quality of life issues may identify problems or concerns or really also job markets. If people are software engineers who have a skill set associated with artificial life, there may be other job markets or there may be other employers that require artificial life-related skills. And ultimately, Graytham is probably a good opportunity to do that kind of networking. But it's been fun discussing quality of life solo. It is something that I've certainly been very mindful of with regards to my editorial duties on biota.org. And it's something that I'd like to see as a community improve greatly. I think there are a number of truly brilliant and wise people who have been associated with artificial life. And the fact that a number of them are no longer participating in the artificial life conversation because of the life experiences that they've had, these are things that we as a community can address and at least think about currently. So I'd like to thank you for your time. I'd like to thank you for listening to my ramblings. I'm Tom Bartley, the editor of Bayes.org, signing off a little early this evening. Next week, we will have Zan Gill on the line. And uh, I think Zan's probably the best person to give her uh, background and some discussion to who she is and what she does, because uh, she is a relatively unique person in the artificial life community. And I think she'd probably be best to define who she was and what she does. She currently has a book, which will be coming out very soon, I understand. However, she is looking for her next project. And I think this is what came through her Greytham Silicon Valley discussion. If you want to go to the Greytham blog, G-R-E-Y-T-H-U-M-B dot org slash blog, scroll down and you'll see my Zangel 
Google video post, and uh, that will give you a good degree of background into who Zangil is and what her vision for the future may be. I've certainly had a lot of email correspondence with Zan since she did that presentation because I think there are a number of issues in the artificial life community currently which will not be solved by prizes but will be solved by community outreach and just general discussion as I'm having with myself this evening. It'll be interesting to have her on. I think there are a number of possible directions that she can channel the artificial life community. She certainly has a lot of contacts outside the artificial life community that have long-standing interests in artificial life but just haven't found the right mechanism in order to get involved with the artificial life community. So she's going to be a genuinely interesting person. I will hopefully know before she comes on what the topic the following week will be. You can follow me on Twitter, my surname Barle, ending in a T, B-A-R-B-A-L-E-T on Twitter. Similarly on Facebook, I have befriended a lot of people. If you'd like to contact me, drop me an email or send me a message on Facebook and you'll probably end up attending a greater meeting in your area in the near future, so be warned. It's been wonderful chatting with you all this evening. Zangil next week, 8pm Pacific, 22nd of August, discussing her book and also what she's going to be doing in the future. Thank you this evening for listening in. 